Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Um, we're in the Christmas season. I, I love the, the Christmas season, it turns out. <laughs> um, it's uh, one of these holidays that I think uh, we, we want to keep it bounded between the end of Thanksgiving, right? The day after Thanksgiving, at least in my family, that's when we can get a Christmas tree. And New Year's, right? You know, you still want to keep the Christmas tree up uh, the week after Christmas. But, uh, but, but I think the reason why we feel like it needs to have boundaries is because it's this holiday, unlike any other that I know of, at least in the U.S., that has this power over us. And I think it's because of the stories of Christmas, not just the, the Christmas story, which is at the heart of it, but uh, the stories that we tell and retell. And I think Christmas movies are one of those ways that we retell these stories over and over again, right? How many times have you seen that favorite Christmas movie? Um, I want to pose a question, and uh, I should have put this in the discussion questions uh, for later, but if your life was a Christmas movie, which one would it be? Think about it. Would it be a comedy? Would it be a drama? Would it be a romance? Maybe just for right now in your life, which one would it be? Um, I, I think uh, these stories are interesting because they, they say a lot about what we hope for. The Christmas story uh, is a little boy hoping for a Red Ryder BB gun, right? That's what he wants for Christmas. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Well, it's, I guess, a guy hoping for life itself, right? Uh, love actually, it's all these different stories intertwined. Everyone's searching for love, for romantic love and a mate that they can live with uh, forever. Uh, stories of Christmas are stories of hope. And I think Christmas is so powerful uh, because it kind of encapsulates our entire lives and the stories that we tell about it. What are places in the world, where we're headed, what the obstacles we face. Um, and when it comes to the actual Christmas story, there's a marvelous story of hope. It's a savior born in a manger. Surprisingly, as we'll see, it has a lot to do with Revelation. Because Revelation, as we've been seeing all semester, it's a story of hope. There is hope. It's the coming of that same savior that came at Christmas in Bethlehem, but the coming of him in the future, our future. So we are situated within this story as those who still have this expectation, those who still have this hope of his return. But like the story of the gospel, this whole book kind of turns our world upside down. It rewrites our stories. It confronts them. It, it affirms some things. It, it, uh, it kind of rescripts the entire narrative for us. This last chapter hammers home three times, I am coming soon. So that's going to kind of be the theme of tonight's talk. Uh, three times, I am coming soon. That's Jesus speaking to John. Um, Jesus is coming soon. We're going to look at this from three different angles. Jesus is coming soon. So what? So what? That's our first one. The second one is what now? Like, what do I actually do with that? What do I wake up and change about my life tomorrow? And third, when? How soon? You know, how long is it going to be until he comes? So first, so what? Jesus is coming soon. So what? 
What difference does it make? The Christian story finds its center in the incarnation of Jesus, which is what we celebrate at Christmas time. Uh, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, becoming flesh, becoming uh, a man. Uh, but as soon as he begins his ministry, which he doesn't begin until he's about 30 years old, he starts making prophecies about his own life and the life to come. So uh, in Mark, he says, stay awake. I'm coming soon. So be alert. In Luke, he says, be ready. I'm coming at an hour you don't expect. And he says that when I come, I will, it will be like lightning flashing across the sky. Everyone will see it. It will be in an instant. So Jesus himself is preoccupied with his own coming. He just came to earth, but that wasn't the end of the story. He himself is saying, hey, I'm coming again soon. Well, so what? What difference does that make? I think we, we forget this in the mundane grind of life. I mean, y'all are in, you're, you're entering, if you're not already in, the thick of uh, finals, right? We, we lose the whole plot. I think we can also um, get lost in, and I, I think certain uh, forms of Christianity can uh, fall into this trap more than others, but uh, where it's not even a part of the Christian life to think about the end times or to think about Jesus' coming again. It's just been completely lost. And maybe the study the semester has been kind of a revelation to you. Like, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming. This is actually needs to, I need to pay attention to this. Um, when I was a kid, we had these chains that we made out of paper, like colored paper, and it was 25. I think we started on December first and each morning we'd wake up and we'd pull off a link in the chain and so it was this exciting countdown for us you know we were probably learning how to count for the first time uh this countdown till christmas day how many of you wake up and you're like it's one day closer to jesus coming back you don't have to raise your hands probably most of us would not say yes every day we're one day closer to jesus coming back um I think there's, there are reasons for this. I think we've got plans. I think we've got hopes. I think we're still kind of writing our own story. I want to look at two different ways this manifests itself. And the first is called the, the self-expression narrative or the self-expression story. The second is called the success story or narrative. Let's look at both of these. And, and, and these, of course, are generalizations, so bear with me. So the self-expression narrative. Living in this narrative, uh, we live to find ourselves. We live every day trying to figure out what the right major we should have, uh, who our friends should be, how we should uh, build our outfit, our playlist, our career, how we should curate our lives because our life is kind of centered around this goal, authentic self-expression. It's a very present-oriented way of living, right? You want to be authentic in the moment. But it subtly tells a story of a future where everyone's just released of all the bonds of expectations that 
uh, traditional society has on us, that friends have on us, that all of these other people and all of these things uh, are, are kind of bearing down on us, where we kind of release the bonds and we're free to finally be ourselves. The second narrative, narrative, we need to turn this off. It's a weird noise. Um, the second narrative is a success narrative. Now, this is the, the American dream narrative, where you wake up because you hustle and you want to achieve in life. Creating a better life for yourself and maybe for your family is kind of how you see why you do things, what gets you up out of bed, what motivates you. And it's navigating the world in such a way where everything is about optimization and maxim- maximization. Is that even a word? Maximizing everything you have to make the most money, to have the best career. Uh, every area of your life, you're always actually focused on the future. You're always headed for that next thing. Um, but it's limited. It's earthbound, and it's often materialistic. Now, you might be thinking, I'm, I'm going to present a third narrative. It's the best one. And yes, I am. <laughs> I am. In this narrative, it's not equal to these. It's this strange intruder that comes in and kind of destroys both and introduces a completely different way of living our lives. And I think it's summed up in that repeated phrase, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Think about that. Jesus is at the center of that story. Jesus, the Son of God, His coming, His purposes, His work, His glory is at the center of this narrative. This is the narrative of the Bible. This is the narrative of the gospel. This is the Christian narrative. That it's not about our self-expression. It's not ultimately about our success. It's about Jesus and his glory. So to live our lives according to this narrative is to see him at the center of reality. It means we ought to orient our lives around him, not ourselves. And so it will affect absolutely everything about ourselves. Every area of our lives, every area of our hearts, it will have something to say. Instead of finding ourselves, it means submitting our entire selves to him. Jesus said, he who desires to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Instead of a success story, it means redefining the terms of success in Jesus' words. This is what Jesus says to us. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus' greatest joy was to honor his Father in heaven. And it was his Father's will and therefore Jesus' greatest joy that he would die on a cross for his beloved, for you and me, and rise from the dead. And in so doing, he invites us into this glorious story. He writes us into the story where we are not our own, 
but we are his. We are Jesus. Okay. After our world has been rocked by Jesus, and we are completely, in a healthy way, disoriented, and we have to reorient everything around him. And his coming, therefore, should mean a, a terrible whole lot. Um, we recognize this, but we say, okay, well, what now? How? How do I go about my life? What are some practical things that this is actually going to change? How are we to live every day as if this is true? Jesus is coming soon. I want to look at uh, three things. And, and this is kind of not doing the whole chapter justice because there's a lot in here. Uh, but it's at least this, that we are called to be holy. We're called to be holy. Now let me cut off the pass, uh, at the past something that's probably going to, for some of us, compl- like jump into your mind whenever I talk about Jesus is coming soon, and then I say, be holy. Right? It's this fear of Jesus's retribution. It's his fear of his recompense. He does say in verse 12, I am coming soon, bringing recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Now, I think I, I, for a time in my life, kind of thought like the prophecies in the Bible about judgment, they're kind of empty threats, right? Because God just loves everyone. And I'm not, I'm not saying that they are empty threats. I'm not saying that, um, that, that holiness doesn't matter. I'm saying, what is the origin of holiness? Where, where does it come from? Is it from the seed of fear in our hearts? Fear of punishment? No, it's from the seed of new creation. God, in fact, giving us a new heart, changing us from the inside being given a new identity as a child of God. Uh, The verse, verse 10, let the evildoers still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. What he's basically saying is, be who you are. Who are you? Are you righteous? Or are you unholy? There is a way to be holy. It's from God doing something inside your heart, giving you a new heart. When, uh, when you are washed in the blood, and it says later in verse 14, how do you become righteous and holy? We wash your robes. You accept the forgiveness of Jesus that he accomplished on the cross. He makes you new. And by faith, we are declared righteous. Meaning right then and there, we are righteous. We are right. We are holy. Think about it this way. If you were to be crowned queen or king, you may not feel like a queen or king immediately when you're crowned. You may not know what it means to act like one, but you are. Your identity has changed. So when it says, be holy, let the, right be, let the righteous be righteous, it means be who you are in Christ. Jesus is coming soon. Be who you are. Um, the second thing is that we are called to remain close to and long for Jesus. Um, if Jesus came uh, to set us free from sin, to make us righteous, to make us holy, and we are his, and we are now... Uh, his 
his children, or God the Father's children. Uh, we need to hold fast to this truth. In this chapter, it talks a lot about uh, keeping these words of this prophecy. And then later it talks about uh, keeping the words of this whole book, this whole Bible. Uh, one of the ways that we hold fast to Jesus is we hold fast to his words. Think if you, you had someone you loved and they wrote you a lot of letters and they said, the last letter, I'm coming soon. Do you think you would hide that letter in a box under your bed and never look at it again? If they love you and you truly love them, read, read this letter from God. He is telling you how to live. He is telling you who you are. He is telling you who he is. And we can rest assured in the fact that because he loved us while we were still sinners, and he continues to love us while we continue in our sin, that he will not let us go, that he is coming back. I think another metaphor that comes out in this chapter uh, of what it means to remain close to Jesus and hold fast to him is uh, thirst. It says, come to the water and drink. It says, come those who are thirsty. See, when we're a Christian, you're, when you're a Christian, you, you long for Jesus, but you long for more and more of him. It's not enough. How we're living right now as Christians, it's not enough. Sometimes I think we're too content. Your, your quiet time with Jesus in the morning, that's not enough. That was never the way it was meant to be. You're meant to be face to face with your Lord and Savior. You're meant to be with him, so, so long for him, thirst for him. He's the one who can quench that thirst that you have. When we, when we want more and more of Jesus, we will say, as it says in that last verse, come, Lord Jesus, yes. O come, O come, Emmanuel. That's not just thinking about a, a Christmas past, right? We're talking about the Christmas future. <laughs> <laughs> come, come, Emmanuel. I'm thirsty. I'm dying. <laughs> Actually, I'm thirsty. Um, uh, the third thing, we're called to worship. There was a funny thing, and I think, I think it is kind of funny, but, um, you know, John just falls down on this, uh, at the feet of the angel and starts worshiping him. <laughs> Um, I wonder if there's laughter involved. I, I'm, I'm laughing, but it, it, um, that's just speculation. So, yeah, forget that. Um, don't do that. He says, you must not do that. Like, don't worship me. Right? But John is just completely compelled to worship something. And he directs him. He says, worship God. Worship God. This vision comes from him. We are notoriously self-conscious people. Uh, we are notoriously self-aware people. We're always uh, curating ourselves. Um, and because of it, I think we're chronically discontent with who we are. I think we're chronically miserable sometimes, and maybe Christmas 
because of all those unmet hopes and expectations, we can be all the more miserable. And sometimes we are despairing. But imagine the joy of getting lost and captivated. So much so in another being that you forget yourself. That you are so enraptured by the majesty, by the glory of God. It was a being far greater than any other human. Imagine yourself getting caught up in a being so wonderful and magnificent and transcendent and powerful and good and beautiful, who also loves you dearly, who also made you and knows you intimately. That is what it's like to worship God. This is where peace is found. This is where joy is found. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of all humankind? What is this all about? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. When we worship, we do this. And we get a taste of our destiny. We are already experiencing what we're made for. It's to get caught up and captivated by him. When is Jesus coming? How long is it going to be? Uh, this is a perennial question, right? And I'm not going to make a prediction. I'm not going to do any speculation because uh, there have been so many failed predictions of when uh, exactly Jesus is going to return. It's pretty ridiculous because in Matthew 24, 36, what does he say? Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus comes out and says, no one knows, but God does know. Now, this is not the first time that God's people have waited for Jesus to come. Serena brought this up earlier. We're in the, the church calendar season of Advent. Advent is Latin for coming or arrival. Um, we remember the first arrival of Jesus as a man coming to earth, but we also anticipate the future arrival. Guys, maybe your mind is blown. Christmas is actually about the future. Uh, it's about the future arrival of Jesus, that same Savior. Now, most depictions of the birth of Jesus, you know, like a nativity or something, they have a star. And maybe on the top of your Christmas tree at home is a star. I want to talk about that star for a little bit. Um, ever since God promised Adam and Eve that one of their descendants would come and slay the dragon and deliver his people, there are all of these prophets that God called uh, to prophesy about this coming offspring of Eve, this coming Messiah. And one of these guys was Balaam, and he was a weird guy. Um, but in Numbers 24, Balaam prophesies this. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, these wise men, wasn't necessarily three, could have been more, 
these wise men knew something about the stars and they knew to look for this one star. And when they saw it arise, uh, they knew that that signified the birth of this Messiah, that Balaam, years before, had prophesied. And in Matthew 2, it says that the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. It was probably in a house, not a stable at this point. And it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. To give some perspectives, scholars date Adam and Eve back. The, the, the furthest back date I could see from any Bible scholar is 230,000 years from where we are. It's a long time. Moses, which is when Balaam would have prophesied that about this star, like 13th century BCE. Jesus' birth right at the beginning of you know, the single digits A.D., that's a long time. That is a long time to wait. And I'm not going to say we have that much more to wait now. We don't know, right? But the point I'm trying to make is that it happened. It happened. Jesus came just as it was prophesied. In verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, who is also a descendant of Jacob, the bright morning star. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Balaam said it was not near. It was far off. Now Jesus is saying with clarity, I am that star. And I am coming soon. He doesn't give us a date, but he says it's certain. He says the last time, surely I am coming soon. There's nothing left to happen in God's agenda book other than this. Like this is the next thing. This is why we we understand this revelation of the Bible to be closed. This is it. This is the next thing. There will be more revelation. There will be more words from God when he comes back. But right now, this is the next thing on God's agenda is to send his son again. And he will come, it says, as he left. He left into the clouds. He left into the heavens. And he will come again from the heavens, that bright morning star. How do we wait? Well, the Old Testament believers waited patiently. Right? But we have more than what they did. They had part of the story. We have the whole story. We can tell it to ourselves, to each other again and again. This is the narrative that we orient ourselves around. But we also have something different than Old Testament believers had. We have the Holy Spirit who gives us that sense of certainty. Yes, I know. It's coming soon. I only need to wait. A little town of Bethlehem um, has an odd line. It's the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I get the hopes, but the fears? What does that mean? I had to look it up. I did a little little research. Um, People say that, well, our hopes are met in him. I think that's obvious, but our fears are assuaged. Everything that we fear 
Jesus conquers. Jesus overcomes. When Jesus uh, came, and, and even the wise men, uh, there was one who did fear Jesus' coming. Herod. He was an adversary of Jesus. That's another type of fear. But if we are Jesus's and he is ours, then all of our fears are assuaged in him and all of our hopes are met in him. Jesus is coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, that's, yeah, just my simple prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us to orient our lives around this reality that you are coming soon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.